the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Leapson. As we head into Hour 3, we are going through a national discussion, debate, and raid over former President Trump having violated a civil statute abusing his authority over matters of intelligence. That's what the raid at Mar-a-Lago was about. A president held on to classified intelligence that evidently violated the law. Now, in back of the law, the purpose of that law is to prevent abuse of intelligence, abuse that could lead to a disruption of some kind or other that would put at risk parts of our intelligence and foreign policy apparatus. Now, keep in mind, this is all quite vague at this point and quite de minimis as well, given that the president has the authority to declassify anything he wants, given that the president still has his security clearance, given that the president still receives the highly classified presidential daily briefing, about which overall no violations or allegations of violations of abuse have ever been alleged. Meanwhile, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, who cannot declassify intelligence material, has gone on television and radio repeatedly for five years, lying and lying and lying under the protection and guise and credibility of being the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. He repeatedly said he had the goods to prove Donald Trump worked with the Russians to fix the 2016 election. As David Harsani once put it, Schiff most famously claimed that Congress had not only uncovered a criminal conspiracy by the president's 2016 campaign, but also that he himself was in personal possession of a smoking gun. Schiff never shared any corroboration with the public, never revealed what he had in his personal possession. The gun, best we can tell, was a water pistol with no water or pistol. When in October of 2020, the New York Post had the goods on the Hunter Biden laptop replete with material that very well could affect every foreign policy operation if it involved Ukraine, Russia or China, three countries of import, wouldn't you say, and favors the Biden family may owe to leaders of those countries Never mind information of profiting from them, the entirety of the media, save Fox News, claimed that was misinformation and banned the story, even shutting down social media accounts that tried to share it, even shutting down the New York Post's story on it. How could they do that? And what could they rely on to do that? Well, we learned a new rule or two as to how. The rule... The media today can do any damned thing it damned well pleases, even if it's in the service of casting doubt on the legitimacy of an election or, worse, actually altering it. And maybe rule two, if you are Donald Trump and you have your security clearance, your home will be raided if you maintain materials deemed classified by some other institution. But if you are James Clapper or Adam Schiff or John Brennan, or Michael Hayden, you can leverage and use your security clearance to lie to the American people in order to alter an election. 
That's just what Clapper and Schiff and Brennan and Hayden and over 40 other intelligence officials did in saying the Hunter Biden laptop story was Russian disinformation. They failed in delegitimizing Donald Trump with claims of Russian collusion in the 2016 election. So they thought they'd try again, this time by burying a damning story about the Bidens for the 2020 election. And it worked the second time. We know it worked. We know an election was altered by these Democrats with their media amen corner. Almost 50 percent of Biden voters knew nothing about Hunter's laptop scandal, according to polling conducted after the election by the Media Research Center. And almost 10 percent said they would not have voted for Biden had they known. That would have given the election to Donald Trump clearly. The media and the intelligence community altered an election by condemning and censoring a fully legitimate story. A friend of mine and I were talking about this this morning, and he raised the question so many raised in these frustrating times. What can be done about this? How can this ever change? And the answer is not rocket science or brain surgery. The answer to a political problem usually is a political solution. Answer, overwhelming force in a political victory. Win an election, win a majority, hold hearings, strip clearances, proffer subpoenas, and indict perpetrators of fraud and abuse of office. There should be hearings on this at a first minimum. Bring in Clapper, bring in Hayden, bring in Brennan and all their Confederates and ask them. And then prosecute them when their answers fall short, as they must. As we all know, they were politicalized. They were politicalizing intelligence to alter an election and mothball a legitimate story that violated not only the sanctity of an election, but also the First Amendment and their oaths to responsibly discharge the trust of their security and intelligence credentials. Game shows on television and radio cannot perpetrate a fraud. It's illegal. How can corporate and theoretically mainstream and major news organizations and intelligence officials do it? Of course, they will raise all kinds of objections, including their First Amendment rights. And that is the dramatic irony of it all. They will cite the First Amendment as a defense to speaking about how they violated it to censor others for purposes of nothing more than political ideology and preference. And they will see nothing wrong with it at all because of what we've been speaking about for the past couple of years, opinion, principle, hierarchy, or to borrow from William Buckley, Quod licit jovi non licit bovi. What is permissible to the gods is not permissible to the cattle or swine. And they, the left, to themselves are the gods and we are the swine. This is the real fraud of the 2020 election. This is the substantiated fraud in the 2020 election. And now it's all been given an added layer of corruption, a word we used to care about. With Mark Zuckerberg telling Joe Rogan that the FBI pressured Facebook to downgrade the story about the laptop, and Facebook only too willing to comply. This is, of course, of a pattern of criminalizing politics. Parents who show up to school board meetings will be criminalized, and information, even scientific and medical information, will be deplatformed as misinformation if it doesn't meet the Democrats' narrative. And there is no shame over it either, as this administration bragged about and tried to create a disinformation governance board. There is no shame over it either when the former press secretary, Jen Psaki, admits the administration was working with social media to deplatform those they deemed spreading dis and misinformation. 
And, of course, the irony around all of this is that Joe Rogan himself was the target of deplatforming during COVID, lest he, in consultation with his doctor, try to use a medicine Anthony Fauci did not recommend, as if Anthony Fauci was the nation's personal doctor. There are about a million ways to think about this. But let's start with the point, if words are to have any meaning at all, the mis- and disinformation during covid came from Anthony Fauci and those who bowed before his pronouncements from an Olympus he himself erected. He even admitted to lying about things like herd immunity and was able to keep his job and never was censured for propagating misinformation or what we used to call just a lie. Then there's the elaborate and unblushing brazenness of the administration admitting to working with social media companies to censor opinion and information. Then there's the elaborate and unblushing cowardice of the media companies to go right along with it. Did you notice how impassive Mark Zuckerberg was in admitting all he admitted to, to Joe Rogan, without a pang of conscience? The most he could summon was to say, yeah, it sucks. Then there is the unconstitutionality of it all. Assuming people still care about the Constitution, which they evidently don't. It is axiomatic, the Supreme Court held as far back as 1973, that the government, quote, may not induce, encourage or promote private persons to accomplish what it is constitutionally forbidden to accomplish via the government, close quote. In other words, the government cannot co-opt private entities to do the work they cannot legally do. Now, that 1973 decision was a follow-up judgment from a similar finding exactly a decade prior. The government may not coerce private companies or individuals to do what it may not constitutionally do itself. It cannot outsource illegality. As constitutional litigator and scholar Jed Rubenfeld put it, There's more at stake here than free speech. Suppression of dissent breeds terror. Ordinary Americans understand the First Amendment better than the elites do. Users who say Facebook, Twitter, and Google are violating their constitutional rights are correct. And they are being induced and coerced into doing so, happily it seems, by the federal government. Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson wrote 20 years before all of this, That, quote, we set up government by consent of the governed and the Bill of Rights denies those in power any legal opportunity to coerce that consent. Authority here is to be controlled by public opinion, not public opinion by authority. Close quote. I'm actually going to repeat that. Quote, we set up government by consent of the governed and the Bill of Rights denies those in power any legal opportunity to coerce consent. Authority here is to be controlled by public opinion, not public opinion by authority. Speaking in the name of liberalism, speaking in the name of democracy, speaking in the name of decency, and doing so under and with the cover of superior access to intelligence, like security clearances, these tyrants not only have contempt for the very system that ever gave them the power they now exercise— It turns out they are not existential threats to the very Constitution they say Republicans are. They are the active and kinetic and ongoing threats. 
if you take this seriously, or at least as seriously as I do, you know, things like protecting this Constitution and this country and the integrity of elections, which is all about taking seriously the value of your fellow countrymen, take these issues seriously. Take your elections seriously. It's the only way to prevent these totalitarians from ever waging war against the American people or ethos again, all in the name of their progressive dreams. If you watched the series Chernobyl on HBO, you will recall the haunting opening lines by the whistleblower, the nuclear physicist, Valerie Legasov. He says, quote, what is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, then we no longer will recognize the truth at all, close quote. How many fellow Americans do you know who can still recognize the truth? Well, consider the Orwellian cause of this all. It's resultant from a government and a movement that gained and maintains power by lies dressed up as truth, where the real truth is shut down in the name of what they call mis- and disinformation. Yes, indeed. The USSR is exactly... Yes, indeed. Orwell is exactly the right analog here. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. For those of you looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's run by really great people who are offering up a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. They are investors doing really well by doing good for others. You can be a part of it, too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087. All right, on this issue of the media and the government co-opting the media. It's actually a very, very serious problem. And I'll tell you why it's such a serious problem. It's such a serious problem that the media is fouling its own nest. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Think about if you went to law school or if you just kind of study freedom of the press or First Amendment cases, Almost nearly every single First Amendment case involving journalism, involving freedom of the press, going all the way back to New York Times v. Sullivan in the 60s, almost every one of these cases is about the role of the media is to hold government responsible. Whenever there's an attack on the media, whether it's mainstream media or other, they wrap themselves in the First Amendment saying our rights are sacrosanct and the sacrosanctity of those rights is for the purpose of holding the government accountable. The classic political question or the classically political philosophic question, who governs the governors in a democracy or who governs the governors in a constitutional republic, 
is the people and the press. That is the ineluctable answer. A free people and a free press. A free people who have freedom of speech, freedom of the right to petition, freedom of the right of assembly, and a free press which is free to criticize. That's what it means, free to criticize the government. So when the media bows down to government demands about censoring other information or fellow members of the media, which is what happened with the Hunter Biden laptop story. It's exactly what happened in the Hunter Biden laptop story. And Mark Zuckerberg admitted to it with Joe Rogan yesterday. We all knew it was happening anyway. And when media companies had these ongoing discussions with the FBI, or as when Jen Psaki said when she was still in te- holding her tenure as White House press secretary, that the Biden administration was talking with social media companies about people spreading dis and misinformation. These media companies had an obligation, if anything they've said since the 1960s in federal courts across the country, including the Supreme Court, would have meant anything. They had a responsibility. You know what their responsibility was? Their responsibility was to say, go to hell. That's what their responsibility was. We are not here to serve you. We are here to serve the people. We are here to keep you in check. We are not here to keep the people in check. That is the role of the media. They say it again and again and again in their media briefs in federal court, having to do with their rights all the time, except this time when it was necessary to defeat Donald Trump or to defeat Republicans. They melted their hand. They fouled their nest. They surrendered their independence. They did more than surrender their independence. They surrendered their role as journalism, as journalists. They surrendered their role to even claim the role of journalists practicing journalism. When Donald Trump said the media was the enemy of the people, the media went crazy. The CNN types, MSNBC types went nuts, went nuts. And they said Donald Trump is going to put journalists in danger because, of course, you remember, we're in a world where words equal violence these days. With the journalists not even thinking for a second, not a second, about the danger they were putting people in by censoring stories, which, as I said, the constitutional scholar earlier who I was quoting in my monologue put it if you want to know how to get civil terror and civil violence engage in the practice of censorship it's the only road people have left if they feel they have a need to dissent and boy there is a need to dissent there's no excuse for terrorism there's no excuse for violence but you know what there's no excuse for what the media did here either and if there's going to be if there happens to be god please i hope there isn't if there happens to be violence the media is going to have to look at its role in causing it welcome back to the seth leapson show portions of which are brought to you by balance of nature i take it every single day pure potent plant power 100 percent pure it boosts your energy it boosts your health it boosts your immunity been taking it for about three years haven't gotten sick in that time period usually do a few times a year especially when the weather changes um it's fantastic product best i've ever taken you can access it too at balanceofnature.com that's balanceofnature.com make sure to use 
discount code balance. Um, Joe Biden is setting off a series of teachable moments if we grasp onto them, if we recognize them for teachable moments. I don't know that he's doing it deliberately. I don't know when you look into those cold eyes if he's doing anything deliberately. But the one thing he is doing a lot of is calling Republicans fascists, racists, and white supremacists, as he did yesterday. MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy, he said. He called us fascists, and he tried to distinguish MAGA Republicans from others. I spoke about this at length in the first hour. Um, I think it's important we take the moment he's providing us by resurrecting the word fascist yet again and try and understand it just a little bit. Prager you, Dennis, uh, sorry, yeah, Dennis Prager, Dinesh D'Souza, Dinesh D'Souza and Dennis Prager um, put together a little video on fascism. And it's, as I said in the first hour, uh, an ideology, a political philosophy that's hard to define and has been very distorted. So let's take the teachable moment and have Dinesh D'Souza and Dennis teach us something. Bill, will you play this for us? He's a fascist. For decades, this has been a favorite smear of the left aimed at those on the right. Every Republican president, for that matter, virtually every Republican, since the 1970s has been called a fascist, now more than ever. This label is based on the idea that fascism is a phenomenon of the political right. The left says it is, and some self-styled white supremacists and neo-Nazis embrace the label. But are they correct? To answer this question, we have to ask what fascism really means. What is its underlying ideology? Where does it even come from? These are not easy questions to answer. We know the name of the philosopher of capitalism, Adam Smith. We know the name of the philosopher of Marxism, Karl Marx. But who's the philosopher of fascism? Yes, exactly. You don't know. Don't feel bad. Almost no one knows. This is not because he doesn't exist, but because historians, most of whom are on the political left, had to erase him from history in order to avoid confronting fascism's actual beliefs. So let me introduce him to you. His name is Giovanni Gentile. Born in 1875, he was one of the world's most influential philosophers in the first half of the 20th century. Gentile believed that there were two diametrically opposed types of democracy. One is liberal democracy, such as that of the United States, which Gentile dismisses as individualistic, too centered on liberty and personal rights, and therefore selfish. The other, the one Gentile recommends, is true democracy, in which individuals willingly subordinate themselves to the state. Like his philosophical mentor Karl Marx, Gentile wanted to create a community that resembles the family, a community where we are all in this together. It's easy to see the attraction of this idea. Indeed, it remains a common rhetorical theme of the left. For example, at the 1984 convention of the Democratic Party, the governor of New York, Mario Cuomo, likened America to an extended family, where, through the government, people all take care of each other. Nothing's changed. 30 years later, a slogan of the 2012 Democratic Party convention, 
was the government is the only thing we all belong to. They might as well have been quoting Gentile. Now remember, Gentile was a man of the left. He was a committed socialist. For Gentile, fascism is a form of socialism. Indeed, its most workable form. While the socialism of Marx mobilizes people on the basis of class, fascism mobilizes people by appealing to their national identity as well as their class. Fascists are socialists with a national identity. German fascists in the 1930s were called Nazis, basically a contraction of the term national socialist. For Gentile, all private action should be oriented to serve society. There's no distinction between the private interest and the public interest. Correctly understood, the two are identical. And who is the administrative arm of society? It's none other than the state. Consequently, to submit to society is to submit to the state, not just in economic matters, but in all matters. Since everything is political, the state gets to tell everyone how to think. And what to do? It was another Italian, Benito Mussolini, the fascist dictator of Italy from 1922 to 1943, who turned Gentile's words into action. In his Dottrina del Fascismo, one of the doctrinal statements of early fascism, Mussolini wrote, "All is in the state, and nothing human exists or has value outside the state." He was merely paraphrasing Gentile. The Italian philosopher is now lost in obscurity, but his philosophy could not be more relevant because it closely parallels that of the modern left. Gentile's work speaks directly to progressives who champion the centralized state. Here in America, the left has vastly expanded state control over the private sector, from healthcare to banking, from education to energy. This state-directed capitalism is precisely what German and Italian fascists implemented in the 1930s. Leftists can't acknowledge their man Gentile because that would undermine their attempt to bind conservatism to fascism. Conservatism wants small government so that individual liberty can flourish. The left, like Gentile, wants the opposite: to place the resources of the individual and industry in the service of a centralized state. To acknowledge Gentile is to acknowledge that fascism bears a deep kinship to the ideology of today's left. So they will keep Gentile where they've got him, dead, buried, and forgotten. But we should remember. Or the ghost of fascism will continue to haunt us. I'm Dinesh D'Souza for Prager University, and I'm Seth Leibson, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, and thank you to Dinesh D'Souza and obviously Dennis Prager and Prager U for that lesson on fascism. It's a word; it's an ideology or theory. Uh, that um, really, w- when one does a, a, a deep historical dive, really truly only applied to one country for a short period of time. Arguably, arguably Spain, but as well, maybe maybe Franco in Spain, but primarily it was Mussolini. And um, the question of fascism and the Third Reich is a complicated one. Because uh, you do read a little bit about fascism in Hitler's uh, writings, particularly Mein Kampf, but only two or three mentions, and mostly 
about Mussolini. Nazism, as D'Souza points out, as many of you already know, as most people don't know, is a contraction of national socialism. Uh, but it's been resurrected here in the United States. It's actually use is more prevalent in the United States today, believe it or not, than throughout Europe. Isn't that interesting? Born in Europe, it's used more here than there. Uh, and 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 I think used often wrongly. Every time a Democrat uses it against a Republican, it's almost always used wrongly. In any event, let me give you again a little bit of Joe Biden from yesterday. Just I want to tee off on this in a moment. Bear with me. This is only a, um, uh, it's less than a minute. And we're not going to let anyone or anything tear America apart. I'll close with this. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. This is why in this moment, those of you who love this country, Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, we must be stronger more determined and more committed to saving America than the MAGA Republicans are destroying America. What what is what is the destruction? What is the violence? What is the threat to democracy that MAGA Republicans stand for? MAGA Republicans, you can use the word MAGA if you want, or you can just use the word Republican if you want. Uh, MAGA is a handicap contraction that can be used as so much clay in the Democrats' hands. Make America great again. Um, If you love your country or if you even just like America and you want it to be better, what is violent and what is undermining of democracy to consider yourself someone who wants to make America great again? Once the notion of violence, once this notion of undermining democracy. How is that on our side? Joe Biden signed a piece of legislation. No, he didn't. He signed an executive order yesterday, two days ago, that transfers $600 billion of wealth that a year ago the Speaker of the House in his own party said would be unconstitutional for him to do so. What's the greater threat? Who's calling for violence in a major political party with any name that anyone recognizes. Obviously, January 6th is on Joe Biden's mind, and he's trying to extrapolate what happened there and paste it on to every Republican in the country. The problem he has is that almost every Republican's name who anyone knows denounced the violence of January 6th. Now, if you want to look to names that are recognized in major political parties that are calling for violence. Chuck Schumer calling on Brett Kavanaugh's head being cut off. Brett Kavanaugh inheriting the whirlwind if he continues to go forward with conservative decisions. That might just be an example. Joe Biden had nothing to say about that any more than he had to say about someone who tried to assassinate Brett 
Kavanaugh. Joe Biden to this day has not said anything about that. Would you consider that violence? Would you consider that a threat to democracy? That's not the only example. It's one of many. His vice president helped raise money to bail out rioters who went on a rioting binge only two summers ago. Only two summers ago. 14,000 people arrested. Not for peaceful protest. Being encouraged by Kamala Harris. Being encouraged by almost every Democrat with a name everyone recognizes in this country. 30 people lost their lives in that violence. You know, the Democratic Party under Joe Biden has a lot of philosophies you can attach to it. They also have a psychology problem. It's called projection. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. The other thing I want to close and have us all remember is Joe Biden tries to distinguish between moderate Republicans and MAGA Republicans. Um, who, who does Joe Biden think of as a moderate Republican? There was no MAGA movement when Clarence Thomas's hearings were taking place and how he betrayed Clarence Thomas. There was no MAGA movement when Robert Bork's hearings took place and he allowed Senator Ted Kennedy to say Robert Bork's America is America of segregated lunch counters and back alley abortions. There was no MAGA movement when Mitt Romney was running for government. Wouldn't you, President, wouldn't you think Mitt Romney, by the way, is a good example of a moderate Republican, the kind Joe Biden in his speech last night, the kind Joe Biden says he wishes there were more of? Wouldn't you think Mitt Romney's a pretty good example of that? Who would be a better example than Mitt Romney of the moderate non-MAGA Republican that Joe Biden is trying to elevate in this country? Well, when... Mitt Romney was a threat to the Democratic Party, this moderate Republican, this non-MAGA Republican. What did Joe Biden say about him? Did he say, you know, Mitt, we may have our disagreements, but you're a good guy and I wish more Republicans were like you. Did he say that? No. Did he say we have our disagreements and I don't like your policies and they'll be bad for the country? Did he say that? No. What did he say? He said it to a black audience. He said, Mitt Romney wants to put you all back in chains. That's what Joe Biden thinks of all Republicans. Don't accept this phony distinction he's making. And don't accept him. I'm Seth Liebson. Until Monday, God bless you all. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. Class is dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.